honest that nothing I can say after that is as bad as maybe what she thought it was going to be in her head. I need to tell you something and you're not going to like it. But there's a basketball game on later today and I really want to watch it. I need to tell you something and you're not going to like it. I finished off those leftovers in the refrigerator and you're going to have to figure out something else for lunch. Uh, and she, full of grace, says, I need to tell you something and you're not going to like it. And she kicks me under the table. <laughs> Getting, of course. This is going to sound a little redundant, but nobody likes to hear things we don't want to hear. But sometimes we need people to tell us hard things, even things we don't want to hear because it's more important that we hear them. It's better for us that we do. All joking aside about the stuff with my wife, I do remember one time, um, the first time that I had a friend who was, who was close enough to me and who, who stepped out in boldness to tell me something I didn't want to hear, to call me out on something that you know, I'd said I was going to do and then I didn't follow through on. And oh, at the time, it stung, and my defenses went up, and I wanted to get, wanted to get mad, but, but he was right. And, and, and I appreciated his friendship even more, because I knew that he cared enough about me, not to let me flake on one of my obligations, but to, to say, I'm not just going to coddle you in this. I'm not just going to say, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. So, like Rhett and Darren said, we're in the second week of this series, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And we could pretty much open every message in this series with the line, I need to tell you something, and you're probably not going to like it. Jesus taught some tough things. He taught some difficult things. And he did so because he loves us. He did so because he knew that these were things that we needed to hear. And if we were going to draw closer to him, and if we were going to be who it is that he's calling us to be, it's stuff that we needed to hear. And I mentioned this last week, that this is a series of messages coming from guys who were hit right between the eyes with these tough teachings of Jesus. You all are just, you're sort of getting the fallout of some of the difficult conversations that Jesus has already had with us. And our hope is that in the ways that we have been challenged by the things that Jesus has said, we can help you walk through some of the challenging things that he's saying to you. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and, our, and the verses we're going to focus in on are verses 14 and 15, but we'll get there in just a second. Jesus had just finished teaching his followers what we would call the Lord's Prayer. It was, it was his model prayer for us as believers. And it's a prayer that a lot of us probably know by heart. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is this beautiful prayer. And then in verse 14 and 15, Jesus zooms in on a very particular part of the prayer he just taught. And it's not on the kingdom of God. And, and it's not on daily bread. And, and it's not on being delivered from evil. It's about forgiveness. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Jesus, can't we just talk about daily bread? Like maybe Texas Roadhouse rolls or something. Like anything would be nicer than this. Nope. Jesus says we got to talk about forgiveness. And he says something that should make the hairs on the back of our necks stand up a little bit. He says, if you refuse to forgive others, your Father God will not forgive you. We got to do a little Christianity 101 here. So if this is stuff you know, it's always good for us to hear again. But, but we believe that we have a God who loves us and who created us to spend eternity with him. He created us to spend eternity with him, but whenever we sinned, whenever we went against our perfect and holy God, whenever we did the things that all of us have done that don't live up to his glorious, perfect standard, we separated ourselves from him. Our sin put a separation between us so that we cannot have that relationship with God. And God, knowing that there was nothing we could do to fix that relationship, there was nothing we could do to get back to him, sent Jesus to come and to pay for our sins, to die on a cross for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have right relationship with God again. So that if we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, that we get to then have that relationship restored, sins forgiven, and we get to spend eternity with God. So what we hear from Jesus in this passage is that if you refuse to forgive others, then God will not forgive your sins. And the implication of that for us is that if we refuse to forgive others, our sins are not forgiven and we don't spend eternity with God. I'm guessing there's more than one or two of us in the room that kind of wish this is something Jesus never said. And, and we're going to have plenty of time to get into some of the objections. I know some of you are already running through your head going, but wait, there's, I got special circumstances. You don't know my story. And we'll get there, I promise. But before we do, I think it's important that we have a better, more full understanding of why Jesus says that this is such a hard and fast thing. Like, why is Jesus saying that us forgiving other people, that is a deal breaker between us and God if we don't? And so to see that, you need to turn, stay in the book of Matthew, but we're going to flip over to chapter 18. We're going to be in verse 23 and look at a parable that Jesus tells here in Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with, with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Just so you know, in the original language, it doesn't say millions of dollars. People in the first century were not walking around with George Washington and Benjamin Franklin in their back pocket. This is our translation's way of trying to help us understand that this was a vast amount of money. Millions of dollars might not even be right. It could be billions of dollars. It could have been a kajillion dollars for all we know. Jesus may, may have been making up numbers so that his listeners, so that we hearing this, it would make our jaws drop. That is a lot of money that servant owes. He couldn't pay, which is sort of a given. 
So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Which, church, still wouldn't have even come close. This guy could have sold himself, his family, his house, his dog, both of his kidneys on the black market, still wouldn't have come close to the amount of money that he owed. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all, even though he didn't, he didn't have a prayer. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. This is so much more than the servant had even asked for. The servant just said, please give me more time to pay it. But the king, looking at him, knowing there's no way he ever possibly could, He forgave the debt and released him. It means he wiped the ledger clean, no longer owed. Spoiler alert for the end of the parable, this is what God did for us. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, we know that we owed God a massive sin debt. A debt that we could never hope to repay. And God, in his love for us, said, I'm sending Jesus to pay that debt for you. I'm sending Jesus to pay it on your behalf so that your sins can be forgiven. Ledger wiped clean. No longer owed. And Boy, do I wish that was the end of the parable. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Not nothing, mind you, but nothing in the same stratosphere of what he owed the king. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. Those are familiar words. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who had been forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until his entire debt had been paid. Tortured church forever because remember, he could never pay it. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. When Jesus says that God won't forgive you if you don't forgive others, he's saying that if you have such little understanding, if you place such small value on what you have been forgiven, that you wouldn't even give a fraction of that to someone else, how could you be forgiven? If you have such little understanding, if you, are, 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 if you could even think, if you are so evil to think 
that the offenses that someone else has done against you come anywhere close to the offenses that you have already been forgiven by God, how could you be forgiven? Do you not understand what you've been rescued from? God says, clearly not. If you cannot give a fraction to someone else of what has been given to you. Some people really wrestle with this idea that God won't forgive if you don't forgive. It kind of feels like a works-based salvation, like, oh, God is withholding something from me unless I do something. He won't save me unless I do this first. And and we know from reading scripture that that's not the case. We know from the Bible that, that our grace is not something that we can earn. It's a gift from God. It's something that we cannot do anything to get. And so I kind of wrestled with the same thing as I was preparing for this morning and some of the authors that I was consulting, they were dealing with the same issue too. They, they kind of helped me understand. They talk about why God couldn't forgive the unforgiver and it comes down to this. If you don't comprehend what God has done for you, then you don't have the faith that is required to be saved. If, if you are, are someone who, who doesn't understand, it's not that God literally could not save someone who wouldn't forgive. It's not that God literally could not forgive someone who refuses to forgive. What he's saying is that to be forgiven, you've got to call on Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And if you won't forgive someone else, then you're denying the very thing that Jesus came to do. You're not calling him as your Lord and your Savior because you're rejecting something that is so essential to who Jesus Christ is. And that's forgiveness. To boil it down, you're not in a state where you can receive forgiveness. If you won't forgive someone else, God takes that as a rejection of him and the forgiveness that he offers. Let me breathe. This has been pretty heavy-handed. I've yelled a little bit. I've spit a little bit already. And I think we need to make some distinctions for some people in here who I know are struggling because they know there are people that they haven't forgiven and feel like they've got some pretty good reasons for it. So I want to make a couple of distinctions. And the first one's this. Won't forgive versus can't forgive. These are different. And the difference is very important. Won't forgive is you making the decision to withhold forgiveness. It is you stating without question that I will not forgive. Or at least I will not forgive unless some set criteria that I have in my own head is met. It's not going to happen. Won't forgive is a posture that you are taking towards another person and ultimately it's a posture that you are taking towards God that is in opposition to the character of Christ. It is you saying that I have no intention to forgive, I will not forgive because the cost of your own forgiveness has apparently had very little effect on you. And Jesus tells us, based on what he says in Matthew 6, won't forgive is a position that you are not allowed to take and call yourself a follower of Jesus. Then there's can't forgive. This is different. Can't forgive would be those who have no desire to be disobedient to what God says when it comes to forgiveness, but they cannot figure out 
because of what has been done against them, because the hurt is so great, because they can't get past mental blocks in their head, they cannot seem to let it go. They can't seem to forgive. That's something God can work with. If you are in here today and you are struggling with forgiveness, Jesus died to forgive your struggle with forgiveness as much as he died to forgive the rest of your sins. You are no more condemned for struggling with forgiveness than you are condemned with struggling for any sin that you continue to struggle with after you become a follower of Christ. But it's very dependent on the posture that we take. Won't forgive, says I have made up my mind, forgiveness will not be offered. Can't forgive, says I want to honor God, I'm just not sure how. But I have a posture that says, I am open to God, I'm open to being stretched, and maybe, possibly, by his grace, I can get to a place where I can forgive. There's another distinction that I want to make. Um, it's somewhat connected to that last one, and this one is, this one's pettiness versus woundedness. Uh, all of my folks in the room who are parents or grandparents or aunts, uncles, teachers, anyone who has any kind of regular interaction with little kids, you'll kind of understand the difference between these two and you'll, you'll, you'll understand the different reactions that come to them. I've got, I've got two toddlers and a preschooler at home, so this is my world. If I have one of my kids who comes up to me crying and says, I'm, I'm so upset because my sister took the cup that I was playing with but sat down five minutes ago. Or I'm really upset that my brother won't make room on the stool for me to reach the bathroom sink. Or they're crying because my sister looked at my macaroni and cheese during dinner. <laughs> Maybe you're different than me. I don't you know, if, if a true toy injustice has taken place, maybe I'll try and set it right. But I don't tend to have a whole lot of coddling in these situations. I tend to look to the offended party to just stop being so offended by everything. Like, everything that happens to you cannot be the worst thing that ever happened to you. But then there's a cry that's different. There's that cry that comes from the other room and I move like lightning to be at the side of my child because I know that they've been wounded. I know that they've been hurt and they need me as daddy to scoop them up in my arms and to hold them and to protect them and to provide some measure of cure, whether that's just kissing the boo-boo or a full-on trip to urgent care and I've made two in the last three months. When it comes to this area of can't forgive, we all probably need to do some evaluation about whether our unforgiveness is being petty or whether we've truly been wounded. And I wish I could stand up here and kind of give examples of what each one would look like, but the truth is what might deeply wound someone else might not hurt somebody else very deeply, and the last thing I would ever want to do would be to stand up here and to discount anyone's pain. But what I will offer is this, that God is the best father and he knows the difference. 
And when it comes to pettiness, if, if, if we're in a place where, where you feel like, you know what, you get offended by a lot of different things, or you're holding unforgiveness back from a number of different people over a number of different issues, you might be wrestling with some petty unforgiveness. I'm not saying you're petty. I'm saying that the unforgiveness issues that you're wrestling with are for smaller things. And Jesus' words for you might be less coddling. It might be more like you're being like the servant in the parable. You have been forgiven so much. You need to forgive. You need to understand that your relationship with God doesn't work if you can't forgive others. And if you're not sure if this is you, if, if, if you're unsure, if it's like, well, is that my issue? I, I'm not, I don't know. My suggestion for you would be this. Go and find a wise, trusted, mature fellow believer in Christ and give them permission to help you figure out whether you're being petty or whether there's something deeper going on. Tell them the things that you're wrestling with and because even if you're someone who feels like you get wounded by everything that happens, a wise, trusted, mature believer friend should be able to help you see the difference. Now for the wounded. I have a very, very different message for you. God loves you. God is aware of your wound. He is aware of your hurt. He is the good dad running to scoop you up into his arms, to hold on to you, to provide you the measure of cure that you need because he cares for you. He's not standing here with arms crossed saying, you better forgive them or else I'm not gonna forgive you. He's waiting with open, loving arms. Because if you've been wounded, there's probably something that you're feeling. There's probably a very good reason that you're having a hard time forgiving. Maybe the person just never apologized. Maybe they never owned up to what they did that, and never acknowledged that they hurt you so badly. Maybe the person's a danger to you. Maybe they caused you some kind of emotional or financial or even physical pain. And you are just so worried that if I forgive them, it would be inviting that back into my life. Maybe for you, it's, it's a person who's no longer a part of your life. They're gone, they're out of it, and you know that to try and forgive them would mean to dig something up that you have worked very hard to bury. Maybe for you, the person's even gone, no longer with us on this earth, and you've just told yourself, forgive, not forgive. Why does it even make a difference anymore? Or maybe for you, you just feel like, the unforgiveness that I'm holding on to is the only piece of accountability there is for this. If I were to forgive them, that's the only thing that isn't letting them off the hook. And that raises the question for us, what does forgiveness require? You need to know that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation 
reconciliation would be the full experience of forgiveness. It would be that person coming to you and and repenting and asking for forgiveness, saying I'm sorry, and you offering forgiveness to them, and the two of you hugging it out, and then having a restored relationship with each other. This is the perfect picture of what happened between us and God. He offered, we repented, he offered us forgiveness, we, we took it and, we, and our relationship was restored. It's a beautiful thing when this happens. But sometimes reconciliation can't be a part of forgiveness. Sometimes because the person is removed from your life or is maybe no longer living, there can't be reconciliation had. Maybe in some cases, you know, cases like abuse, reconciliation would not be the wise thing because it wouldn't be wise to bring that person back into your life physically. And so we have to ask our question then, all right, in cases where there is no repentance, where there is no request for forgiveness on the other person's part, what does forgiveness require us to do? Pastor John Piper said that these situations tend to fall into a different category that Jesus talks about, and that's the category of love your enemies. And some of us, maybe we wouldn't think about the person that we haven't forgiven as our enemy, or maybe we totally would, but because it's a state where they have not repented for what they've done, because we have been hurt so badly, they are in the position of an adversary to us. And Jesus tells us what we're supposed to do in those situations in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. This might be a whole other message on things I wish Jesus never said. This is so countercultural. It's it's not even countercultural. This this is it surpasses culture. This is so counter just human nature that it is hard to wrap our minds around. That Jesus says, whenever someone has done nothing but harm to you, you do nothing but good to them. That Jesus says, whenever someone is spoken, nothing but words to tear you down. You speak words to them and about them that bless them. Jesus says that I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray that God would do a changing work in their lives. This loving your enemies, this offering forgiveness to those who haven't asked for it or to those who haven't repented, this is us laying down our bitterness, saying we're not going to dwell on this anymore. This is us laying down our right to revenge. Somebody much more eloquent than me, he put it this way. He said, forgiveness is relinquishing all hope for a better past. We stop thinking about it. I'm going to stop dwelling on it. I'm going to stop fixating on it. I'm going to stop bringing it up to everybody that I have a conversation with. I'm going to stop acting like that person still owes me something. I'm going to stop acting like they're the person who's responsible for putting my life back right. It means that we have an attitude towards them that is the attitude of Christ, which is mercy and love. It's an incredible picture of what God did for us and we wish Jesus had never said it. Because forgiveness like this, it doesn't come 
cheap for us. Forgiveness like this costs us something. Because if we forgive like this, it means we have to take that wound without retaliation the same way Jesus took our sins to the cross and didn't fight back. It means we have to sometimes bear the scars of those wounds that other people have caused just like Jesus had the scars in his hands and in his feet. Forgiving like this means that I have to choose to offer grace every single time the anger and resentment starts to come up in my head, starts to creep in. It means letting them off the hook, even if it feels like they're getting away with it. If you're struggling with forgiveness, I know that you feel like that you are holding that person accountable but the only person that you're holding imprisoned is yourself. You're keeping yourself from having that full relationship with God that he wants you to have. Think about it. When someone has wounded you and you're withholding forgiveness from them, who do you think thinks about it more, them or you? Who do you think loses more sleep at night about it, them or you? Who do you think has a harder time growing in their relationship with Jesus because you're withholding unforgiveness? Them or you? As we think that we're holding this person imprisoned by unforgiving, but not forgiving them, and the only person that we're holding back is ourselves. And I know that this may be the hardest thing about it is that if I forgive them, if I do good for them, if I speak words of blessing about them, then you know what? How will anybody ever know that they hurt me? Even the offending party, how will they ever know that I got hurt if all I ever do is respond in good? We kind of want to mope. We kind of want other people's sympathy, and not just for attention, but because when other people give us their sympathy, it validates our pain. So we have to ask ourselves, is it enough that God knows you've been hurt? Is your view of God big enough that you can see that God loves you? that it matters to you that God knows every injustice, God knows every abuse, God knows every insult, and God will be the one to put it right. Is it enough for you that you can say, I don't have to keep reminding myself of this, I don't have to keep reminding God of this because he knows and he cares and he loves me and he wants to wrap me up in his arms and he is cheering for me to love and forgive. We come in here every Sunday and we sing songs about how great and mighty our God is, about how our God is greater than any situation, about how our God loves us with the greatest love and about how much we depend on him. And when it comes to this issue of forgiving deep wounds, we get the opportunity to put our money where our mouth is. Is God really big enough and great enough for you to be okay that God's the only one that knows? Is God really enough to get you through any and every situation? I believe he is. 
And I believe that he wants us to hand those wounds over to him and to forgive. So, practically speaking, how is it that we move forward? We know from what Jesus said that forgiveness is not an option. But it might be a process. Forgiveness for you might be a little bit more like a marathon than it is like a sprint. If you're somebody who is having struggles with forgiveness, then the first place you might need to start is just growing in your understanding of who God is. Growing in your understanding that he is the God of justice, that he is a God who loves you, that he is there for you no matter what happens. We need to grow in our understanding of the cross. When we look and we see just how much we were forgiven, it makes it a little easier to know that we can forgive more. When we look and see just how far Jesus went to forgive us, we can say, you know what? I'm willing to go a little bit farther in order to forgive someone else. Once we, once we shore up and get kind of a healthier understanding of who God is, have a healthier respect for the cross and what Jesus did for us there, you know, maybe the next step is the one that we've taken today. Maybe it's just knowing that God is serious about forgiveness. That forgiveness is not something that, that we have a choice to do or to not do, but that God says, if I have forgiven you, you must forgive. And, and maybe you didn't know that before. If you were struggling with not forgiving someone, maybe you didn't know that God is this serious about it. And so now you know it's time to get started. If you're still struggling with forgiveness, then maybe the next thing to do is spend some time praying to God that he would give you the desire to forgive. You, you may be sitting there right now saying, but I don't want to forgive. And so you need to start at a place where you say, God, help me want to. He will not fail in this because this is what God wants for you from his word. So you, if you don't have the desire to do it, ask him to give you the desire. And then, lastly, maybe the next step for you beyond that is to get into the mode of loving your enemies, loving those who have hurt you. If you can, find a way to be a blessing to that person, to do something good for the person who's hurt you. If you, if you don't have the opportunity for that, if that, if that isn't a, a possibility for you, then pray for them. Pray good for them. Speak words of blessing about them. Even if you've got to start someplace small, even if you just have to go, you know what, God, I pray that today their lunch is not laced with rat poison. I hope you're further along than that, but if you've got to start someplace small, start someplace small. Be sincere. Pray for them. Especially pray for their spirit. Pray that they would come to know this Jesus who loves them, that they would come to have a relationship restored with him, that they could spend eternity with him. It's okay if this is a process for you. But we've got to know that it's not an option. So we've got to get started. And let's get started today. Let's stop holding ourselves back. Let's stop holding us from having the relationship with God we're supposed to have back because of unforgiveness. Let's stop ignoring the magnitude of the cross and what Jesus did for us. Let's get to the business of forgiving. This is one of the reasons why we take communion every week. Communion is an opportunity to fixate our eyes back on the cross. For us to look again 
at what Jesus did for us, just how far he was willing to go to pay the debt that we owed. And when we look and when we take a little piece of bread and we take a cup of juice representing his body and his blood and when we proclaim his death on our behalf, we stop and we say, look at what you did to forgive me. My challenge for you today is that as you do that and as you thank Jesus for how far he was willing to go to forgive you, that you would be willing to take steps to go a little farther to forgive others. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is good. Your word is true. Your word is right. Lord, I lift up a special prayer to my brothers and sisters in the room who are wounded. Lord, who are dealing with deep hurts that go beyond things that I could even imagine. God, I pray that they would feel your comfort today. I pray that they would feel your loving arms wrapped around them. And that they would know that you are enough. It is enough that you know. It is enough that you care and God, I pray that we could all get to the business of forgiving. God, I pray that you would wipe away any petty unforgiveness in my life, in the lives of my brothers and sisters. Lord, that we would not be like the servant in the parable. Lord God, that we would be like you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for dying on that cross for our sins, forgiving us. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.